You know, some of us were brought up in a family that was really healthy and really solid, and you look back on your time in your family, and you just have a lot of good, warm, fuzzy feelings, and when you hear that word family, there are warm, fuzzy feelings attached to that word. But then there are others of us who, when we hear that word family, maybe we didn't have that same experience. So when we hear the word family, we think of dysfunction, and we think of disappointment, and we think of hurtful words or things that were or were not done. And so all of us have this different idea and different emotions that are attached to the word family. And I think the same rings true when you begin to hear people say things like the church is supposed to be a family. You can think good, warm, fuzzy feelings like, yay, warm, fuzzy, happy feelings, church, family. And then some people are like, well, I don't know. There are so many different things that happen in life that affect our perception and the way that we view things and the way that we define things. And I think that all of us bring those things to the table when we all gather together. We have different ideas. If you're a person who has perhaps gone to several other churches throughout your lifetime, you've learned and recognized that when you've gone to a new church that you see that maybe there's things that are done differently than the place that you went to before. And you bring all of those expectations and all of those things that you liked and didn't like to the new place. And the same is true when there's pastoral transition, which our church has just experienced over the past six months as I'm still your new pastor. I think I still have a new car smell. And... <clears throat> And I, I feel like that even with the change of leadership within the same familiar context of BCC, there's still different ideas, different ways of doing ministry, different philosophies about certain types of things and approaches to different things. And everyone has their own thoughts and their own ways of the way church should be and the way church family should be. But as I read in scripture, I see this idea over and over again of how we're supposed to be one. We're supposed to be unified. Because in our unity, that's what really makes us strong. And that's what God continually calls us to be. But how are we ever going to achieve unity when we have all of these things from the past and all these other things in motion that we all bring to the table when we corporately and collectively gather. How can we truly learn to be one when we all have such different ideas and different values? And that's really the heart behind this entire series that we're gonna be going through the next several weeks. You're actually gonna to get to hear from all of our staff pastors uh, that are going to be teaching on different weeks on different subjects that either apply directly to the ministries that they lead or to different ideas that they just happen to be very passionate about. And our leadership team has worked and prayed, <clears throat> excuse me, over a, a, a good period of time to be able to discern different core values that we believe make up what is important to us as a church. Some of those things are based on things that you, once you hear them, you'll be like, yes, amen, that's something that's important. And some of those things that you'll hear taught will be, well, yes, amen, but we got some growing to do. And so all of those different ideas are important because I told the staff this, one of the very first exercises that I led us through in discerning core values here at, a church, at our church was this. I said, I want us to answer these two questions. What are we known for as a church? And then what do we want to be known for as a church? 
And the answer of those two questions helped us discern these core values that are based on Acts chapter 2 from the early church. And I want to give you this example because I think that it's one of the best, most clearest pictures of the approach that we need to take when it comes to being unified as a church. And if you have come to my Next Steps class that I've taught, you've heard me share this example. I've been sharing this for years, and it's just a really good visual picture for us to remember. Imagine, if you would, that there are two tables up here. The table on my left would be one like you would see in a restaurant. The table on my right would be the one that you would see in, a, in your home, a family table. The funny thing is, is that both of these tables you do the exact same activity at. You gather around that table and you eat. That's what we do. We gather around the table and we share a meal. So we're doing the same activity at two tables, but our mentality and our perception and our idea at both of these different tables, it actually is very, very different. Because when I'm over here and I'm sitting at the restaurant table, I am looking to be served. I am a patron. I'm here for you to take care of me. And the things I get upset about are things like, you got my order wrong, right? Um, I, I asked for no guacamole. You gave me guacamole. I asked for, you know, a, a substitute of this item for this item. And I didn't get what I ordered. Or the infamous, my glass is empty. And then I get asked if I want more to drink. Of course I want more to drink. You just brought the food and my glass is empty. That's a question that you don't have to ask. And we get upset about those things. And we go, wow, man, this was poor service at this place. And we get upset. And if we have those continual experiences at that restaurant, maybe you're a gracious person and you'll give that restaurant two or three shots. But if you have that same experience over and over again, what are you inevitably going to say? Oh, we're never going back there again, right? <clears throat> and because you had bad experiences over and over again, because the primary goal of you sitting at the restaurant table is all about what you get. You're not sitting around the restaurant table going, I wonder how I could really help serve these people in this restaurant. I wonder if they need me to do the dishes for them. I wonder, you know, I noticed that, you know, there's a few light bulbs out. I wonder if I could change those for them. I noticed that, you know, it was a little dusty over there on that countertop. I wonder if I could go wipe that up for them. You're not thinking about that when you're at that table. You're just there for what you can eat. Now, what if we took those same ideas over here to the family table? Have you ever had a meal that wasn't cooked quite right at home? Don't raise your hand too high. You might get smacked. I know that my dad, growing up, my dad wanted to be like this barbecue master. And so he began to experiment on my sister and I. And we were his guinea pigs for him to learn how to do all this smoking and grilling. And I'll never forget when my dad first started trying to smoke whole chickens. I can't tell you, I probably had salmonella so many times um, that it's not even funny because it would either be undercooked or extra crispy and overcooked. You learn the value of a good barbecue sauce because you can smother that chicken with the sauce, and as long as the sauce is good, um, I got my fingers crossed, I will survive. And that's how I made it through that season of life. And dad actually ended up becoming a really good cook, so if he's watching this, I have to say that. But <clears throat> no, he actually is a good cook. But at the same time, if I was to say, this chicken wasn't cooked to my specifications, I'm done with this family. 
Um, that's not how we would react or respond to that. That would, we would go, that's, that's silly. But we're doing the same thing that we would do at the restaurant table. Now, when I, I don't know how you grew up, but the way I grew up, my sister and I had various responsibilities with the meal. As we got older, those responsibilities began to increase as we could handle more. We would set the table. We would clear the table. We would do dishes. You know, maybe we would help with a, a little bit of preparation in the kitchen, et cetera, you know. And it was a part of that process is that we were actually included in the preparation of the meal. If my glass was empty, I got up and got something more to drink. Uh, I definitely didn't say, um, uh, excuse me, mom, um, my glass is empty. Uh, I, I, this is unacceptable. I need you to fill my glass, please. Um, I wouldn't have ever done that, right? I mean, that, if you were smart, you wouldn't have done that anyways. <clears throat> we're doing the same activity at the table, but our mentality is different. So what is different? What makes those activities different? Because we're just eating. We're gathering together and we're eating. The, the, the difference is that at the family table, I'm gathering for something more than food. I'm gathering for more than something just for myself. I'm gathering because I have deep relationships around this table and the environment that I'm in is conducive to continuing to facilitate the deepening of, and the bringing close of those relationships. The restaurant only produces a consumer type mentality and people take both approaches to the way they look at church. Some people are more bent over to the consumer side of church, and they begin to look at church as what I get out of the deal, and everything is supposed to be done for me. After all, I've done all of this for you, so you need to do this for me, and it's this transactional type of relationship. Over at the family table, it's not as much transactional as it is just love, as it is relationship. The conversations that I have around the family table are much deeper than any conversation I've ever had at a restaurant, because there's just something about that safety there, there's something about that intimacy there, there's something about that love, and, and I don't know if you picked up on this or not yet, but I bet you have, because you're a bunch of sharp people, and I believe in you. BCC is not called to be the restaurant table. We are called to be the family table, amen, church? Amen. We are called to be that, because church is not an event, it is a family, we have to get out of this idea that church is this once an hour uh, event that happens once a week and we just show up for this event that happens to be put on for us. That is a consumer type of mentality like the person sitting at that restaurant table. Now here's the beautiful thing about the family table. Just like the restaurant table, I'm still going to get something out of it. You should get something out of it. But it's not just about what I get. It's about others, and it's about us serving one another, and it's about us doing life together in a much deeper way, and us growing together in a much deeper way than I ever would with that environment at the restaurant. That's why Jesus, I believe, said this. In John chapter 13, and verse 35, he said, By this everyone is going to know that you are my disciples. He says what? If you have love for one another. He said, all people are going to know that you are all my disciples, that you belong to me. This is the calling card of a Christ follower. This is someone who has been transformed by the power of the gospel. This is how you're going to know, not because of where you park your car for an hour once a week, not because of the bumper stickers on your car, not because of the Christian jewelry that you wear, 
Those aren't the things that Jesus said we were going to be known by. Jesus said the thing that we're going to be known by is the way actually that we love one another. There's something powerful that happens when we as the family of God begin to be united in the things that we value and the things that are important to us that we can all agree and say, yes, these are the things that are important to us. We're going to unify around these things and we're going to live with these types of priorities. And when we do that, man, it makes for a powerful church. Amen? Amen. What unites us is greater than our differences because surely we all have different upbringings and different ideas and different perspectives. And those things should be respected. I, I understand that. But at our core, there should be things that are non-negotiable that bring us all together. And those things that bring us all together are much stronger than all of our preferences. All the things that may divide us, all the things that may be uh, non-eternal bearing issues. And what brings us together is our shared need for Christ. And Christ being all-sufficient to meet our needs. That's what should bring us together. That there is nothing lacking in Christ. That He is sufficient. That if I have Him, I have everything that I need. And the fact that I see Him as my greatest need and He has been all-sufficient to meet my need, that is where we all should be unified. And that should then transition by, by transforming our lives and should transition us into people who are now loving people much differently than we did before we knew Christ. Because our love for one another that Jesus is talking about in John 13 is a love that comes out of knowing Christ. It's a response to what he's done. It's a response to the grace and the mercy God has shown us. Because God's love changes our values. It should. In other words, the things that were important to me as a person who did not know Christ, as a non-Christian... Those things should change once I become a Christian. Amen? Amen? I should be valuing different things. And I'm not talking about just certain behaviors. I'm talking about the things that matter to me at my core. The things that are true. The truth that, that navigates and guides and directs my life has now been shifted and replaced from what I used to think to now what Christ has renewed and made me new in. And so those things should come directly from his word because he shows us the things that are important to him. And those are the things that should be important to us. Amen? Amen. When you encounter the love of God, you will be transformed. You will be changed. If you claim to have known God and yet you look the same as you did and you behave the same and you value the same things you did before you claimed to know Christ, I'm not sure if you really have known Christ because you cannot help but be transformed. You cannot help but be changed. You cannot say, I know Christ, but I still value everything I used to value before Christ. I still want to behave and live the way I lived and behaved before I knew Christ. Christ transforms us. He makes all things new. He changes our values because out of our values comes our behaviors comes our decisions, comes all of the things that we do and put our energy, our effort, our time, our resources into. When I meet Christ, when he radically changes my life, when I encounter his love, I cannot help but to change. I cannot be the same. Let's go over to Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at the text that's going to anchor us through this series, and I want to give you a little bit of the background as you're turning to Acts chapter 2. 
up to this point, we've seen Jesus die on the cross. He's risen from the dead, and now he's ascended into heaven, leaving his disciples with the great commission for them to go and fulfill. And he also has left them with a set of instructions to wait because he's going to fill them with the Spirit in a way that they're going to actually be emboldened and empowered to be able to do the things that God has commissioned and created for them to do, because it's not going to be something they were able to do on their own. It's going to be God in them, doing it through them as a vessel. And so they're to wait to be empowered with the Holy Spirit. And the setting here is the Feast of Weeks, and on, during the Feast of Weeks, there's the day of Pentecost, and there have been people who have gathered from all over the region, and a lot of these people speak different languages, they have, have different customs, different ideas, different thoughts, but they come together annually to celebrate, and here they are from all these different backgrounds, and they come to celebrate, and on the day of Pentecost, God does something powerful by the Holy Spirit coming and, and, and meeting the people who were uh, in an upper room and they were praying and they were waiting and the room that, the, that these Jesus followers were in was actually shaken and these people began to speak in other languages that they hadn't previously learned. It wasn't like they got a quick Rosetta Stone lesson or something like that. They didn't know these other languages but yet they began to speak in these other languages and the Holy Spirit empowered them to do that. And the reason we know that this happened is because scripture said that there were people who were there for the Feast of Weeks that were hearing God's name being praised, who were hearing the gospel, who were hearing the truth about Jesus spoken in their own native language. And people were just blown away that this was going on. And one person just deduced that I guess they were drunk because when you're drunk that makes you learn another language. I don't know. <laughs> what that guy's issue was. And, and Peter has to address this, and he says, these people aren't drunk, as you suppose. And then he gives like some idea about like, it's not even time you know, to be drunk. It's like the wrong time of the day, because apparently there's a certain time of the day. Um, but, but he says, it's not even like time. Like it's, it's not even the right time of day for this to be happening. So these guys aren't drunk like you think. He said, but rather, Peter says, this is the fulfillment of a prophecy. Do you guys remember the prophet Joel? And he begins to remind them of what Joel said in Joel chapter 2 where he says, In the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on your sons and on your daughters. And he begins to rattle off this prophecy and he's basically telling them, Listen, this prophecy that was spoken of hundreds of years ago is being fulfilled before your very eyes. Like this is what it is that they're doing. So this is God doing this. This is the pouring out of the spirit that was promised. And the spirit is enabling them to do something they couldn't do on their own. And that's speaking another language that they previously didn't know. And as they were hearing God being glorified, and Peter was filled with the spirit in that moment... And scripture says that he was filled with the spirit to be able to speak the word of God boldly. So here's Peter, a guy who didn't have a seminary degree, a guy who was a fisherman. And he followed Jesus three and a half years. And here he is. And now he's speaking boldly these things about Jesus and who he is in such a way empowered and emboldened and filled with the spirit that 3,000 people come to faith in Christ in that moment. Ooh, what? 3,000 people. That's a pretty good church day, right? That's, you know, you would think if anyone was going to write a church growth book, you know. <laughs> like, it, it, it was about 
the fact that the Spirit of God was doing something powerful in the people who were speaking in other languages and in Peter who had preached and spoke the Word of God boldly. Now, after they received Christ and after these people were praising God, what happened next? That's where we pick it up in Acts chapter 2. Right after 3,000 people come to faith in Christ, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship of the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So now it's not just a one-time 3,000 people deal. This is a daily thing where people are now coming to faith in Christ. Day by day. Why? What happened? The very thing that Jesus said needed to happen. He prayed and he said... Father, make them one as as we're one. You're seeing this unity of the church, the body of Christ. You're seeing this unification of these people who are now united in what they value from loving Christ and following him. And then what happens next is that they begin to love each other. And they begin to do what Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples. If you have love one for another. Now the world is seeing it. And what's happening as the world's seeing it? People are being added daily now. It's now a daily thing. To where people are becoming Christians. They're becoming uh, someone who is seeing their need for Jesus. And now they're living out a certain value system that they weren't living out before. Because their priorities have shifted. Their priorities, as we read, are that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. These are people of the word. These are people who wanted to grow in the scripture. These are people who wanted to be uh, solidified in their understanding of the gospel and, and allowing that to not only change them in that moment, but to continually change them as they're being transformed and growing in sanctification. And it's also influencing their priority to where now they're living in such a way where they're sharing this gospel and they're sharing this good news with what Jesus has done because daily people are being added to the church. You're seeing they're devoted. We're going to be a people who pray. We're going to devote ourselves to this because now their values have shifted. Then all came upon them. They saw signs and wonders being done. They believed together. They had all things in common, even to the point to where they didn't consider themselves owners They held everything with an open hand. And this, if there was a need amongst them, they would take care of one another. They just loved one another so well that it wasn't about what I can have, what I can accumulate, but rather how can I serve my brothers and sisters in the family of God. They began to exercise this family table idea of loving one another and serving one another. And that unity was prioritized in them as a response to what God has done. They began to break bread together in their homes. They would have meals together. They would celebrate the Lord's Supper together. They were praising God. They were having favor with all the people. They were generous. They loved one another well. God's love changes our values. And we see this evidence in this very short passage of Scripture 
These values changed their behaviors. It changed what they did. It changed what was important to them. And it modeled for the world what Christ has done in a people who will trust in what he did for us by faith. Because what we value will drive our decisions. That's your big idea for today. What we value will drive our decisions. And I understand that we as a church at a loose level can probably say different things that we value here as a church and those things will be true. But I wanna make sure that we can be united and say these are the things that BCC values because we understand these are the things that are gonna help drive our behaviors as a church and drive our decisions moving forward. Because we have to know who we are before we can know where we're going and take those steps in that direction. And we have to understand that. And I want us to be unified on that deal so that when we start taking steps in a certain direction as a church, as the Lord leads and as God opens doors for us and as God makes things clear and makes our path clear, what we're to step towards next, that we can be united in that because we all understand what matters and what's important. And we all are willing to submit our ideas and our, our thinking and our perception and our, our, our consumer-driven type mentality and idea. We can submit all of that and say, no, Lord, I want to be a part of the family, and I want to move forward together, and I want to move forward in unity, and I want to value what you value, and I want the things that are important to you and your kingdom to be important to me, for my family, and for our church family. Amen? Amen. Because the church is called to be the family table, not the consumer-driven restaurant. We are called to be contributors, not consumers. We are called to serve one another. We're called to love one another. I want us to go just a, maybe a couple pages over to Acts chapter 4. And let's look at verse 32 through 34 as we see the same idea reiterated again. Acts chapter 4 verse 32. Now the number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and a great grace was upon them all. Look at this. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands and houses sold them and brought the possessions of what was sold. We see that these guys cared for each other, that it was like even the stuff that they had. They were like, we just want to make sure everyone's taken care of. Can we just love each other in that kind of way? Where the things that we once valued before, maybe once before, when I was over here, maybe all the stuff I had was really important to me. Maybe over here, my ideas were really important to me, and I hold on to those really tightly. Maybe over here, my time is really important to me because I, I look at it all as my own. But then when I encounter the love of Christ, all of a sudden, I transition and I begin to change, and I'm transformed. And now I'm over here at the family table, and I begin to think, well, well my time is not my own. The things that I've been given are, are not my own. All of the things that I once held dear, my ideas, Lord, I, I let those go, and I submit to you. And I want to be a person who, who's sitting at the family table with unity, who is helping my church family to move forward, because we are called to be contributors, not Consumers, Go over to Philippians chapter 2. I want to show you where Paul reiterates this same idea. And I love the way he writes this in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2. I want to read the first four verses here.
Philippians 2 and verse 1, page 980 in my Bible. <laughs> Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is Paul writing to the church in Philippi, telling the church how they need to be treating one another. This is the church treating the church this way because there's a watching world. And the church, I believe, becomes most attractive to the world, not when we're like the world, but rather when we're different from the world because we treat each other differently than the world does relationships and treats one another. It's not how much can we be like the world to try to attract the world. It's how much can we love one another with the love of Christ so the world goes, hey, that's different. That's missing in my life. I need that. What the world is not interested in is seeing a group of people who can't get along, who are divided about their own ideas and their own things that they have gotten hung up on and their own things that cause division and hurt and all the slander and gossip and negativity. The world goes, I can get that anywhere. <laughs> World's not interested in that. What the world is interested in is seeing something different. And that's what we're supposed to be, a city set on a hill. We're supposed to be salt. We're supposed to be light. Amen? Amen. And as we are unified in our mission, as we are unified in our values, as we're unified in what's most important, then our behaviors should flow out of that because we know who we are. One of the things that uh, my wife and I did early on in raising our children is we attached our last name to certain behaviors that we did and did not do. So when we would have to correct our children, especially when they were younger and they were really testing the boundaries in certain areas, we would sit them down and in our discipline we would tell them, we would say, this is not how Armstrongs behave. This is how Armstrongs behave and this is what we as Armstrongs do. We attached our behavior to our family identity because we wanted them to know who we are. Other families may do things differently, but this is how Armstrongs do it. Because I want that to be imprinted on their heart, that this is who we are. It's not just something we do. These are our non-negotiables. Armstrongs don't lie. That's, we just don't do that. That's not a part of who we are. We don't deceive. We're not going to do that, no. Um, and a variety of other things. But when we would correct them, that's how we would do it. Because we want them to know who we are, and I believe in that same way. We as a church need to know who we are because it creates for us boundaries and healthy guardrails for us to be able to run in a healthy direction and help keep us unified when the enemy may want to try to come in and try to cause disunity in the body of Christ. That we are not unaware of Satan's devices, that we're not unaware of his schemes, but we're very much aware. We very much have our antenna raised and we say, no, 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 that's not who BCC is. That's not who we are. This is who we are. This is what we value, and this is how we behave. This is how we treat one another. This is how we interact. And my hope and my prayer is that as we grow in these things and as we adhere to these things and as we lead into the future on these things, that we will be able to have that identity as a part of just who we are, not just something we say, 
I'm not looking for another thing for you to have to memorize or learn. I'm looking for us to understand this is what makes us who we are and let's move forward together in those things. One more set of scriptures over in Romans chapter 12. I want to read this whole chapter just because I love the way Paul does this. Romans 12 is my favorite, I think, in all the scripture. Just, I, I love all the different messages in Romans 12. And um, I hope that you catch the heart of this today as we're talking about our family values. Romans 12 and verse 1, <clears throat> Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, and the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. I love this part. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Here we see the same idea that we saw play out in Acts chapter 2. The same thing that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. The same thing that we reread in Acts chapter 4. The same thing Paul is telling the church in Rome. It's the same message that I believe Jesus was saying. The world is going to know you're my disciples by the way you guys love each other. And if I'm looking at church as a restaurant table, that's going to be really hard for me to ever get involved and get connected at that level. Because when I'm sitting over here, it's just all about what am I going to get. It's all about me being taken care of. It's all about what I want, when I want it. But over here at the family table, there's a lot more give and take. Because I'm sitting at the family table for more than just food and more than just good service. I'm sitting over here because this is an environment where these relationships matter to me, where these people matter to me. And where we love one another so well and we value and we share those values so well and we're so unified in those things that people outside go, man, I want to be a part of a family like that. And we say, you can. We say, you can. The door's wide open. We want you to be a part of this family. But they look and they say, I want to be a part of a family like that. I want to be a part of a church like that. I want to be, I want to, I want to be loved like that. Well, you can be. We want you here. Jesus wants you here. And we welcome you with open arms. But the thing that is gonna have to, they're going to have to see is that consistency, that love. Not perfection, because none of us are perfect. Hello. <laughs> Don't look at the person next to you. I know they're not perfect. I get it. It's not about us being perfect, but it's about us saying, you know what? Even when I fail, even when I mess up, I'm still willing to forgive. 
to reconcile. I'm going to be like Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, eager to maintain unity in the bond of peace. Eager. I'm actually pursuing that because I want to be a part of keeping us together, helping us love one another, even through the rocky times, even through the ups and downs, even through the disagreements, because what brings us together is bigger than what may divide us or may make me frustrated from time to time. Because we love each other with the love of Christ, that kind of church is going to be attractive. Amen? Amen. That when it's authentic, when it's real, that's what the world's looking for. That's what the world needs is a church that loves Jesus that way, because a church that loves Jesus that way, by responding to Jesus' love, is going to love one another that way. So over the next several weeks, you're going to hear our BCC core values, the five core values that are going to be taught from Scripture. These values are a part of our identity. They're the foundation piece to that. And this is going to speak to who we are, and we can't know where we're going until we know who we are. These values are things that we're going to teach and ascribe, and to, they've been prayerfully um, worked on and discerned and taken directly from Scripture. And I believe these things will unite us, will guide us, and give us tracks to run on, making decisions. So let's make it our focus through this series to catch the heart of these values as a church and to internalize these things and to live them out as a church and also individually because these are not just things for BCC. These are things for you as an individual, you as a family unit. These will continue to help us grow as a church in love and unity. It'll help us make a greater impact on eternity. One more time, the big idea, what we value drives our decisions. And our decisions are gonna drive our behaviors. And our behaviors, a watching world needs to see people who've got the real deal, amen? Let's be that type of church. So Lord, help us. Help us be that type of church. We want to be that. We, we understand the need for that. But we also recognize and understand our inability in our own strength to never be disciplined enough to be those types of people on our own. So we must depend on you. We must ask you, Lord, as we are sober-minded, as we humble ourselves under your mighty hand to submit to the truth of your word in the way that we treat one another, in the way we react to situations that are beyond our control, in the way that we put a guard over our heart and over our mouth. God, we need your help. In a way that we speak edification, in the way we speak truth, in the way we deal with sin, in the way that we repent, in the way that we reconcile. Lord, we need your help. We need your Holy Spirit because we can't do this on our own. And we don't even want to try to do it on our own. Lord, may your spirit in us be greater than any work that the enemy would try to get us to buy into, any deception, any thoughts that we would think that would make us feel like we're superior or better than or more spiritual than. Humble us, Lord, and unify us as we grow together. In Jesus' name, amen.